Welcome to Garden Church Podcast. We are in a series called Courageous Orthodoxy, Convictions for Resilient Faith. And for us at this time, we are looking at the foundations of Christian belief. We are trying to encourage you as followers of Jesus to live out of a robust theology. We're hoping that you would be encouraged by this and that you will ground your faith in the Word of God and you will live a vibrant life in the way of Jesus. Hope this empowers you and encourages you in your faith. What's up, 10.30, how we doing? Who was at the 6 a.m. service? We had a ton of people at 6, double dipping today, love it. I just want to highlight some things. Okay, a couple of things I've been thinking about. I'm just going to highlight before we jump in. Just pause the time. Pause the time. Thank you so much. (laughs) We have been celebrating Easter as a church for 14 years. This is our 14th year celebrating Easter. Yes. We've been in nine different locations. It's a lot of traveling. I'm very grateful. I came here last night uh, just to pray and look over my sermon. I was just overwhelmed with gratitude. Just the sun was setting, and, uh, and then I came in, and I saw, holy moly, this flower arrangement. Can we give it, like, the flowers? I mean, what? Carly, and the spread outside, like, I, I was like, that's a biblical spread. Like, that, that represents, like, we probably shouldn't eat it. We should probably, that's like where we're going to take photos for, our, for Easter. Like, we're going to get our kids and be like, all right, make sure you get the grapes in the back. You know what I'm saying? Like... <laughs> All right. Well, hey, um, Easter's a big deal because at the end of the day, if there's no empty tomb, there's no Christianity. So like everything for us hinges on the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not enough for us to say, well, I like Jesus. His teachings are cool. I don't really know about the miracle stuff in Easter, uh, you know, in resurrection. Maybe it's just a story. There is no Christianity without the bodily resurrection of Jesus. It's, it, Jesus would be a fraud and a fake if he wasn't raised from the dead. We believe that Jesus lived in human history, he died on a cross, and he, three days later he raised from the dead. And that's why we, as followers of Jesus, we say he is risen. He is risen indeed. Way better than 8.30, I just gotta say, <laughs> well done. You are God's favorite. So today, today we're going to look at the Easter story from the Gospel of John. I just thought, why not look at scriptures? I love the Word of God. We love the scriptures here at this church if you're visiting. So grab a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, the words are going to be on the screen. If you want to take one with you, we have Bibles free. You can take them or you can download a free Bible online um, and just download it on your idol and we'll keep going, all right? So John, yeah, I said that. He said it. Convenience is not always a good thing. Anyways, here we go. Forget that. Here's what I'm going to do today. We're going to look at the first Easter story, right? The the first Sunday of Jesus' resurrection. We're going to look at the community of Jesus. What were his followers doing? What did they expect as Jesus is raised from the dead? What's going on? And we're going to look at the implications for our lives and see if it points to anything about God. So we're going to explore this chapter together, and then we're going to go on and have brunch or something like that. I highly recommend Beals. Beals is amazing. Got some good Texas barbecue. Just throwing it out there. Love those guys. Anyways, here we go. You probably have plans, Easter egg hunts and stuff like that, all the pagan way you want to celebrate this day. But anyways... (laughs) 
just look up Iskar, um, Mesopotamian god that celebrated Easter first. But anyways, here we go. We rebranded it. It's cool. Here we go. We're, we're, taking, it, we're ma- taking it back for Jesus. Here we go. Early on the first day of the week, we're going to have fun today, I promise. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, 6 a.m. crew's like, I know what's up. But it wasn't really a sunrise service, was it? It was more like a fog service. But anyways, here we go. It was great. Mary, it was great. Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Quick side note, I just need you to know what's going on because it's really great. If you've never read the Gospel of John, John wrote the gospel, and in ancient antiquity, you would never use your name if you were in the story. You would come up with a clever nickname. John chose the disciple whom Jesus loved. (laughs) You really can't make this up. Like, it's like we're all hanging out, and we're like, I'm going to write the story. I'm God's favorite. That's the name. (laughs) So God's favorite was competing against Peter. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him, Mary said. So Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. Now pay attention to the details. It's so important. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked, at, uh, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him, And went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, in case you forgot, who reached the tomb first, (laughs) also went inside. He saw and believed. And then there's this parenthesis. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. All right, first Easter Sunday. I love it. The resurrection is happening. And I love the Bible because the resurrection is still so down to earth. I love the Bible because the personalities of the writers are coming out. In the middle of the most significant day in human history, in the epic climax, the authors of the New Testament want you to know John got to the tomb first. God's new creation project is underway. Jesus died three days ago. He's no longer here, but make sure you know, John one, Peter zero. (laughs) I mean, it's amazing. I love this. Even on Easter Sunday, some of Jesus' closest disciples are missing the point. Think about that. In the midst of this sacred moment, they really don't know what's going on. There's a parenthesis. John even says, we didn't even know what was going on. We didn't realize that the scripture pointed to this. Not to mention, if you read the gospel of John, Jesus mentioned it quite a few times. I'm going to die, and I'm going to raise again. And then he's dead, and they can't find his body, and they're like, where's his body? But they're not asking that question. They're like, I got there first. I love it. In the midst of this epic story. One of the things you see over and over again in all of the scriptures is this thing. God delights in using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's actually a consistent theme in all of the scripture that God just chooses to use people who are mixed bags 
That's really good news. It's not like good news for when you die and go to heaven. That's not the theology of the kingdom of God we teach. We believe God brings his way of life here and now. He invites you into his story with your brokenness. He wants to use you with your, I'm not really sure what's happening right now, but I guess I'll keep going. He comes into that and says, yep, that's how this is gonna play out. I'm gonna use you with your failures, with your questions, with your putting your foot in your mouth over and over again. Like James and John in the gospel, it will be like they're, they're walking with Jesus and they're, they're going, all right, who's gonna sit at the right hand of the Father? Who's gonna sit next to Jesus? And he's like, are you kidding me right now? You're debating this? Peter's like, I'll never disown you. He's like, actually, in a couple of minutes when the rooster crows three times, you're gonna deny me three times. No, I won't. Over and over again, the disciples are missing the point. They're forgetful. They don't really get the the seriousness of what's going on. And what I love about the Bible, and perhaps one of the arguments for the legitimacy of the New Testament in particular, is that it doesn't gloss over these things. It includes the competition, the missing the point, the sibling rivalry, and all the other things, forgetting the fact that he said, I'm gonna die and I'm gonna raise again. That's kind of a big deal. But right in the middle of it, right in the middle of it, you have a miracle underway and there's emotional immaturity. There's personal drama, sibling rivalry, just people who don't get it. And this is actually what I wanna tell you about the Christian God. I just need to make sure you understand that he delights in using ordinary people. He wants to use you for his purposes. He wants to include you in his epic story. It's not finished yet. The new creation project, which was ushered in on the resurrection Sunday, that first resurrection Sunday, is underway, and he's looking for you to partner with you in ordinary ways that become extraordinary because of your faithfulness. So what does God look for? He looks for mixed bags. (laughs) People who are full of wonder and confusion, who are filled with faith and doubt, who are filled with uncertainty and passion, grief and hope. Sometimes you're gonna show up and you're not gonna really get it, but he's still going to use you in the midst of all of it. The weaknesses, the failures, the sin, the brokenness, the comparison, the competition, everything else in between. This is what Easter Sunday, the first Easter Sunday reveals that some disciples just don't get it. They miss the point. But it goes on. There's other people in different places. How are we doing? 1030? <clears throat> you guys are, you guys are, <laughs> just saying. I don't like comparing brothers and sisters, but you are clearly the favorite. You are doing way better. Some of you are straight A's. Some of you, you're going to do something else when you grow up. Here we go. <laughs> really into art. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just need to get here because I'm going to go, and then we don't know what territory we'll get into. Here we go. Verse 11. So, the other disciples take off. Then there's Mary, the, another disciple. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept. She went, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Quick side note. Like this is a direct reference to the tabernacle and, and, and the, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant where there's two cherubims on top of the Ark, one uh, on the head, one at the foot, representing uh, the seed of mercy. Is that right? The seed of mercy? I'm asking Amy because she preached about it this morning. 
These are her notes, not mine. And so it's just, it represents the forgiveness that's being extended, the grace that God is extending. It's, it's very intentional. John is making this point. This goes back to something else. Pay attention, two angels. But notice Mary, she sees these two angels and they ask her, woman, why are you crying? And she says, they have taken my Lord. They have taken my Lord away. And I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. So you have this Old Testament reference to the tabernacle and the, seat, uh, the, the mercy and, and the forgiveness of sins, and then you have Jesus he shows up to her. I just want to pause real quick. I love this. Because she is overwhelmed by grief. Right? So she's overwhelmed by grief. And in her grief, she is thinking, I got to finish the burial. Like, this is how I'm going to navigate this pain. I have a process. I have an idea for this pain to work itself out. So what I got to do is I got to take the spices and finish the burial. She gets there. There's no body. I go back, grab the other dudes. They come back. Now she's overwhelmed. Where did they put him? I got to finish the burial. She peeks in. Two angels. She's not thinking, oh my goodness, there's angels sitting where Jesus' dead body was. Where did you put his body? I got to finish this thing. Then Jesus shows up. I love it. The first person Jesus reveals himself to is Mary Magdalene, the one with the past? Yeah, that one. You know the one? Different accounts talk about demonized, talk about lots of things. There's lots of you know, stories around this particular person that's following Jesus. She's at the tomb. She sees the first resurrected Jesus, but she doesn't see Jesus at first. She's overwhelmed by grief. Where's his body? I'll take care of it. Just get me to him. And she thinks he's a gardener, which, by the way, is a nod to Genesis 1 and 2 because the first task of all humans, according to Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve were gardeners in the Garden of Eden. Their job was to steward creation in partnership with God. So this is a nod that Jesus is the new Adam and he's restoring what was lost in Genesis 3. Oh, didn't see that coming. <laughs> Welcome to Garden Church. <laughs> like it's more than just a cool name. There's some theology going on. Yeah, so good. So good. So she doesn't see him until he, she hears. Have you ever been looking at somebody and you don't realize what's going on until it sinks in? Mary. How many times did Jesus say Mary. I just have to, this is my own thoughts now, the names that she was called throughout her life. Something about the way Jesus says her name. She knew without a doubt. She turns around and says, Rabbani, which means teacher. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the other disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, who, by the way, is the first person in the scriptures to preach the resurrected Christ. It's a woman. Yes, you're welcome. 
Without women preachers, we don't hear that Jesus was raised from the dead. I'm just saying, there's some good theology in the Gospel of John. And she told, that's for me and for everyone else out there, just to know. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So we have some disciples who miss it. And then we have some disciples who miss it because they're grieving the loss. They're sitting with the spices in the berry, in the tomb of what was once their life and hope and expectation. They're blinded by their, hope, their grief. Jesus doesn't come and sit down and say, let's process your emotions. No, 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 his presence redirects her purpose, right? It's not, okay, let's work through this. No, I'm here, go. Cool, we'll deal with that stuff later. Go and tell my brothers I'm going. And she runs home in the excitement. She's seen the Lord. Her grief is overwhelmed with the presence of Jesus. And now she has seen the Lord. And the story continues, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, so same day, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, what's up, guys? <laughs> that's, how I, that's how I read it. He says, peace be with you. A greeting. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. His resurrected body still holds the wounds of the cross which will forever be a marker of grace and transformation and salvation for all those who see. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Overjoyed. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, and now I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. This is Genesis chapter two. Man is created out of dust, and God breathes into him the breath of like the Ruach, the Spirit of God. We have another moment of life coming onto creation through Jesus. And then he says this line, which really frustrates me. He says, if anyone forgives sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So this is the moment of authority passed to the disciples of Jesus. But let's just talk about it in the sense of that first Easter Sunday. Some disciples missing it, some grieving. Now they're hanging out together and Jesus in a physical body shows up with the doors locked. What's up dudes? And dudettes or whatever. What's up guys and gals? Let's go. How we doing? Check it out. See for yourself. And then he breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit and then he passes off his authority. Because this is all about the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins is the shorthand of restoring what was lost in Genesis 3. Now, new creation is underway. Genesis, this is a new Genesis is what it's happening. This is the beginning. But now let's talk about this. Missing the point, grief, party in the house. Right, like this is a mountaintop. You watched him die, and now he's here, and you are like, "Yes, we, you did it! Yeah, okay, let's go to all the nations." We're talking. It's like a, all of us are like we're worshiping, and God shows up. People are crying, and people are getting healed. We we witnessed the resurrected Jesus. We're like, "Yes!" And then Thomas comes back with dinner. That's literally what happens next. Like think, okay, so I got, you have to see John and Peter competing, not really getting what the empty tomb's all about, Mary missing the angels, missing Jesus as a gardener, 
because of her grief, and then he shows up, and he, those people who are missing it, those people who are confused about, I told you I was gonna do this, all right, now you have the authority that I have. He's entrusting the, the, the new creation project to those people. That's his plan A, apparently. I would do it a little differently. Probably do a little background check before. You know, make sure they're good with power, like forgiving. <laughs> if they hold on to unforgiveness, they're not gonna be forgiven for eternity. That's pretty intense, Jesus. That's what he's doing. And then the story continues, and this is what, I love this one. Uh, verse 24, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week, oh, we'll stop right there. I will not believe. I love this story because it's, it's like the climax, right? Like he showed up. There's all these disciples who saw the resurrected Jesus and then there's Thomas. Oh, come on, Thomas. Really? He's known throughout this, uh, history as doubting Thomas, right? Like, it, it's the pessimist. Like, I want to see facts. I want to see the details. If we, he was written about today, he would be deconstructing Thomas, right? So he would be, <laughs> he was out. It's like, we're all having this gathering, you know, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up and all this stuff happens and then somebody w went out to go get the Postmates order and there was a problem so he had to go to Chipotle and bring it back and as they're coming back in, they're like, ah, oh, we saw him. And he's like, come on, man. And he's like, I saw him. I watched him get flogged. I watched him get a, a, a crown of thorns, pray, play, placed on his head. I watched him beaten and insulted and mocked. I watched him drive those nails into his hands and feet. I watched him cry out and breathe his last. I watched him come off the cross and buried him. I'm sorry, guys, but unless I see it, unless I feel it, can't do it. Thomas is such a gift. He's such a gift. His honesty and vulnerability with where he really at, is at is such a gift for the church. It gives us a model for what to do with questions and doubts, what to do in our deconstruction within the context of community. Here we are in the midst of the epic climax in the story and there's a close friend going, nah, don't believe it. <laughs> It reminds me of the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus is raised from the dead. He's already appeared to his disciples. He's about to commission them with the great commission, you know, the big one, go into all the nations, baptizing them. And in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, it says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I love it. Some of the 11 disciples doubted you see, we don't like doubt today because doubt requires risk. It means we're not quite sure. It means we have to step out on what we're not 100% about. But I have to say, I know for a fact the world right now in our culture is not looking for certainty. The world is looking for people who have gambled everything on Jesus. See, let me say, doubt is not a threat to faith. 
No, doubt doesn't, get thre- doesn't threaten faith or truth for that matter. The opposite of faith is not doubt, it's sight. And real truth doesn't need to be defended. It just stands there in the open, right? It, truth can defend itself, just give it enough time. It will last. You don't need to comment back, just let it be. You see, biblical faith allows for questions and concerns and uncertainty and doubt and deconstruction. And as communities, we need to do a better job of holding space for where people are. We need to not be threatened by their questions or their deconstruction. So many of us have been disappointed by communities in the past or institutions, leaders, pastors within the church. And uh, the problem, no doubt, over the last several years is the division within the church requires us to think deeply about what's going on and maybe deconstruct in order to reconstruct around the biblical revelation of Jesus, not just human institutions or traditions. See, we disassociate or disconnect, and that's the real problem. You see, Thomas shows us what to do with his doubt and deconstruction. Look at what it says in verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. How long was that week for Thomas? Oh, that was the longest week of his life. And why didn't Jesus just pop back in? What was he doing? A week goes by before he's there again. It's really interesting. So that first Sunday, we have all of those stories, and now we have another Sunday. A week later, they're probably gathered, and Thomas has had enough. I get it, guys. Warm fuzzies for all of you. Cool, you saw him. I get it. And then Jesus shows up. Thomas shows us what to do with our doubt, with our concerns, with our questions. He's, he stays in community. He remains in community with his unique perspective. He doesn't, and the community doesn't dismiss his perspective. Oh, come on, Thomas, with all your questions. Come on, with all your pessimism. Of course, Thomas doesn't believe it, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 they hold space for it. They let him stay there with his real experience. And the Bible doesn't gloss over it. It shows right in the epicenter is this doubt and confusion and question and Thomas brings it and the community is renewed because of it. I love it. Listen, deconstruction plus isolation will always lead to disassociation and unbelief. Deconstruct, I think that was an amen. Something fell over here. Deconstruction and isolation leads to disassociation and unbelief. Deconstruction in Jesus-centered community will lead to a renewed faith and a renewed community. The gift of Thomas to the community is they see Jesus again. Jesus doesn't, look at what happens. Jesus shows up, he says, peace be with you, and then he goes straight for Thomas. Shame on you for not believing the testimony of your brothers and sisters. No, 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 put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said, my Lord, my God. And then Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not, yet, who have not seen and yet have believed. This is not like a diss on Thomas. This is, this is what Jesus comes to do. He shows up to meet you where you are. Just give it time. 
just give it time. And is this not true of our seasons? How many of you have gone through trials, tribulations, and dark moments in your life? Can we just, like we need to, we need to rec- yeah, I think most of us, if not, just give it time. Um, <laughs> like I have been in those places where I'm like, God, where the blank are you right now? You say it here, for the love, show up. And he doesn't show up. And what you're sitting with is your grief and your questions. I remember when my wife and I had our first son and he almost died in the hospital and it kind of triggered this very dark season for us. And it was isolating because of a fear, a fear of getting sick, a fear of him almost dying again, all this stuff. And there was this moment where everything changed and I can, I, we can trace it to this one particular day when somebody knocked on the door, an elder from our church, they handed me a bag of letters and prayers from our community. Knowing that they couldn't come in, knowing what we needed was that we sat literally on the floor weeping, reading the prayers. And we would say that's when light came in. The community held us when we couldn't hold ourselves. This is what the resurrection is about. It's not just about this one-time moment in history. No, 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 it's about a community being where they are and being strong enough together, letting Jesus, the resurrected Christ, meet you where you are, in your missing the point, in your, in your grief, in your doubts and questions and deconstructions, in your fears, in your isolation. We need each other. The resurrection happens in community. Jesus shows up to his family and they're all in different places. At some point, there's gonna be a restoration happening because Peter denied Jesus and Jesus doesn't shame him. He says, do you love me? And he restores him into leadership. But there are so many of you who are walking alone and you need community. I was thinking about this morning, I was um, thinking about a year ago, I have a friend who was going through a really hard time. He thought he was gonna die. He had a heart problem and he thought, you know what, he has an undiagnosed condition. He's not gonna live much longer. He was saying, like basically writing letters to his kids thinking that he was gonna die soon. He, li- he was living as if he was gonna die any moment. And there was one particular day where the fear was overwhelming. His wife texts Alex and I and I just show up to his house before work. I'm like, come on, we're gonna go on a walk. We're just gonna walk. He was so exhausted. He had this issue. He was so afraid of his heart doing weird things. He could barely keep up at a slow pace. So I was like, all right, you're gonna do better than this. Come on. And I remember trying to encourage him and I prayed for him and he, was just, he just did not believe it. He did not believe it. And I remember saying to him, and it was kind of like a prophetic joke. I said, I can't wait till a year from now when we're laughing about this experience because your kids are gonna have kids and we're gonna be grandparents together. And just two weeks ago, we were working out at Pursuit, the men's ministry on the beach. Some of you do that. I came on a particular hard day that was not a pleasant day. They were doing... 30 minutes of burpees, partner wad. We were doing 30 minutes of burpees while the other person carried a bag over the berm and did sit-ups and came back. It was exhausting, but he was my partner. And I remember him crushing the workout, like just going crazy hard and putting me to shame. I was trying to keep up and he was coming down the hill and I thought about that walk and I said, hey, Remember a year ago when you thought you were gonna die and we were gonna laugh about it? I'm so glad you're here. And he broke down. So I'm so glad I'm here too. That's what we're supposed to be to each other. That's what the resurrection community provides for us. And so we have the gift of these stories where the first Easter shows us 
His disciples are in all these different places, but what does that say? That the context for discipleship to Jesus is always community. You're made for community, and the lie of the modern world is that you can do life alone. And if there's anything John chapter 20 teaches us, it's that we need each other. And it's an invitation to become family in this world that wants to isolate you and keep you alone and be offended by everyone else's perspective. The church is the one place where we say it doesn't matter. We believe he's raised from the dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. So the first invitation is really a question, do you have community? Do you have real, authentic, Jesus-centered relationships that you can hold on to when the seasons come? Because they'll come again. Do you have a space where you can walk with others in whatever stage of life you're in? If not, press in. Garden Church is here for it. The table has been set. Not every table is going to look as beautiful as that spread out there, but either way, there's a table for you, for you to be yourself with Jesus, to walk in community, whatever brokenness, whatever question, wherever you are, however you are, church is for you. So come back. Join a house church. Join a missional community. Serve. Belong to a family because we need each other. We need someone yelling at us going, aren't you so glad you're alive? I'm so glad you're alive. So glad you're here today. Second, I want to invite you to follow Jesus. Right? So listen, some of us have made public declarations in the past to follow Jesus, or we, some of us have never made a public declaration to follow Jesus. I've been praying about this. Like, what's going on with making a declaration? I think it's time for the church to be as public as possible, and not in the ways you think. It's time for you to be public with your faith. The world needs healing and the world needs salvation. It needs a savior and we have one. And we need the church to start living as if we have one. Not lots of them. Not little mini idols that we can navigate our life. Not the yoga practice. Nothing wrong with yoga unless you dedicate it to Jesus. Nothing wrong with your, your diet or your exercise or your Wim Hof cold plunge, whatever that is. That's not going to save you from the real thing that is working against you. You need a deliverer. You need a savior. And his name's Jesus. He lived in human history. He died on the cross. He's raised from the dead. Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my father in heaven. That's a big deal. When you say, I believe that Jesus is Lord and raised from the dead, publicly, Jesus goes, yep, that's my guy. That's my girl. I believe in them. But then he says in Matthew chapter 10, Whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> I think there are a lot of prodigals in the room. What do I mean by that? Oh, I follow Jesus, but you live like every other American in the, in the Western context. Your life doesn't look like a disciple of Jesus. And the reality is this. In our private world, there's something powerful about stepping away from the crowd and saying, I actually follow Jesus. Let me explain it, because the whole gospel of John, the whole purpose for the entire gospel is at the end of chapter 20. Verse 30, Jesus performed many signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. In other words, there's a lot of other things that happened. We didn't have time to include it. Verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
The whole point of the book is for you to believe in Jesus. You were designed for life, abundant life. And the only way you have access to that is through relationship to God. And the, I, the word that John uses is this Greek word, believe. Now, belief is not some intellectual acceptance. Like, oh, I believe in Jesus like I believe in this podium. No, it means to trust, to have full allegiance to, to put your life in the hands of, to be sold out, won over. Another translation is to walk in, to step in, to run in, or to relax in. Belief is active. It requires not like a prayer one day, one time, and then you just go on living. It requires a regular commitment to say, this is what reality is to me. Jesus raised from the dead. And then your life begins to get restructured, renovated around that reality of Jesus as you give it over to Jesus more and more. So when I say I want you to believe in Jesus, I want you to publicly declare that Jesus is Lord, I'm saying I want you to go all in. I want you to give your life, your money, your thoughts, your voting, your community, your car, your relationships, your parenting, your job. I want everything to be dunked into the baptism waters and say, that's what I'm going to do from now on. So much of our baptisms today is like the ancient Roman leader, Charlemagne, who had his sword out and said, God, I will baptize everything except for my right hand and my sword. That's a true fact. Romans that said, I'm going to baptize this way. I'm going to leave this part for the world. Sorry, we don't have that anymore. It's immersed into the waters. So if you want to say that prayer, if you want to commit your life again to Jesus, would you just say this prayer? Would you just close your eyes? I'm way over on time. I apologize. But you guys, you get the best, you know? (laughs) 10.30. Got me all dressed up today. Oh, I got applause for that. All right. All right, would you just say a prayer with me? If you want to give your life to Jesus again or the first time, I'm just going to, this is just you acknowledging that. Jesus, I want to surrender my life to you today. Your Lord and King, thank you for living a perfect life and dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for rescuing me. Lord, I am sorry for all the ways I've blown it. But I thank you for forgiveness and grace. Come into my life today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit anew. Transform me and help me to follow you as a disciple for the rest of my life. Protect me from the evil one. I pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. We are Garden Church. To find out more about our community and to find resources to help you in your spiritual journey, visit garden.church.